Did you know there's a difference between upsells and cross-sells? An upsell is when customers add something to the cart and you offer them an upgrade or a better version. So let's say it's coffee. They add a one-pound bag, and then you upsell them the two-pound bag. When they accept, the two-pound bag is added and the one-pound bag is removed from their cart. A cross-sell is when your customer adds something to the cart and you offer them a product to go along with it. So let's say it's that coffee again. Your offer might be coffee filters, and when they accept it, the filters get added along with the coffee. And of course, you could do them all together. So let's say your customer adds coffee to the cart, you offer them the two-pound bag, bam, they accept it, and then when they click checkout, you offer them the extra filters. And then finally, after the checkout, you could have a special offer that expires in five minutes with a big countdown timer in their face to get one more bag for 50% off. So how would you implement that money-making magic? Well, with Bold's product upsell app, the first ever upsell app on Shopify. It's been a game changer for stores. And recently, Bold made some major improvements to it that are taking it to the next level. This might just be the one app every store should have, assuming you have more than one product, of course. With the new upsell version 3.0, you can offer upsells and cross-sells before and after checkout with one click. And even better, if you have the free Bold Brain app, all these upsells can be automated. So if you're not offering some form of upsells on your store, you're leaving big heaping piles of money on the table. You can get started with Bold Apps product upsell today with a 60-day free trial by going to ethercycle.com bold. That's ethercycle.com bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily. And it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial. Today on the unofficial Shopify podcast, we're going to talk about a thing that has resulted in several, not one, not two, but a good half dozen at this point, half dozen of my clients being sued. And it's accessibility. So there's a lot of confusion around accessibility. And how do you implement this on a website? Is Shopify or Shopify themes accessible out of the box? What does it mean? Why should I bother? Etc. Etc. It is an important issue that I think a lot of us just unintentionally, no, no malice, we just un- we overlooked it, and so we need to get educated about it. We need to take it seriously because it has several benefits to our business. But I'm not an accessibility expert, so I went and found one. Alana Davis, who uh, is a a colleague of mine, 
and we've, we've worked together in a few projects, really knows the space well um, and is going to help walk us through what you need to know about accessibility and how it pertains to your website and how you could benefit from it, how we can all win by just investing a little bit of extra time into accessibility. Alana works with Shopify and Squarespace e-commerce shops to remove friction from the buying process by keeping web accessibility top of mind. She's able to create effective websites that attract more visitors, provide better SEO, and increase conversion rates. Alana, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So how long have you been working in the e-commerce space? Oh, gosh, a couple years. Honestly, I lost track. (laughs) And the, how'd you get started with it? What was the, what was your attraction to e-commerce? Well, so my background is actually in HR. I uh, was a head of HR at a local SaaS company, uh, been in HR for about 10 plus years. And um, during that time, I learned quite a bit about how to create an accessible workforce for your employees. And when I left HR. I got more into development and I've been working with a couple nonprofits that are local to me um, who post job boards and that sort of thing. So that's really what got me into the e-commerce side uh, and then just sort of blossomed from there. Very good. Okay. So when we say an accessible website, if I can get on a website, it's accessible, right? What does accessibility mean? Well, what you can access might be different from what someone else can access, right? So we often think about, um, you know, being able to navigate your website from your mouse. Some people don't have that ability. If you're blind, you don't use your mouse, you use a keyboard. Um, If you are um, physically impaired in some form of fashion, you might use different tools to help you access a website. So it's not always as simple as, um, you know, can you get onto a site and, and navigate through it? It's how you access that site and how you uh, are able to go from entering the site to purchase. So really an accessible website just means that you as the website owner are explicitly inclusive and you ensure that there are no barriers that prevent people with disabilities from interacting with or accessing your website. So I'll give you a, a real-world example. I had uh, someone comment in our Facebook group. He said, well, I really love the content you post. I'd love to be able to participate in the podcast if you would provide transcripts. I'm deaf. And I thought, oh, shoot. I have completely unintentionally excluded this guy. So now we, we've been providing transcripts for every episode. And that it's not like that is some great additional effort for us to do, but it, and it goes beyond just, hey, Deaf people are able to read transcripts of the show, but it also has this SEO benefit because now we have the entire content of an episode in a machine-readable format, which so now we get better organic search. So there are far-reaching effects to just a little bit of extra effort here. That's been it's anecdotally kind of my experience with accessibility. You approach it from, hey, can you improve the site for everyone in this inclusive manner, and in doing so... Everyone, including machines, benefit from it. Yeah, I think that's actually the number one, you know, reason why I encourage so many merchants to create a more accessible website. It's not even just, you know, your transcripts. It's having alt text on your images and using appropriate alt text. All of that stuff is is what search engines use to 
determine where you're going to fall on the the search results. So it's all things that actually help you. And, you know, you talked a little bit about the, the idea of creating closed caption and transcripts. Half the time I as a parent don't want my kid to see what I'm watching or to hear. I don't want her to be distracted. So I will watch videos on mute and listen or, or, you know, read it as it's coming through. And so many of the different things that people consider as an accessible feature is actually just things that make many people's lives a lot easier. Many accessibility features are also just practical features. So yeah, exactly. like on the iPhone, some of the I have some of the accessibility features turned on. Like I don't want all the crazy animation nonsense. And they have as an accessibility feature for people who get motion sickness. Well, it doesn't give me motion sickness. I just think it's a better experience without it. Or I do... It, I use subtitles or closed captions when I don't want to have the TV too loud and wake the baby up. Or I, I love this anecdote. Here's another real world anecdote. Do you know why Facebook is blue? Ooh, I'm, I'm guessing it has to do with the, the visibility of the color. Mark Zuckerberg is colorblind. Blue yep. is the color he sees best. Yeah, that's actually, it's so funny. I actually did a talk a while ago um, about a coworker of mine who we were using like the old school Outlook color categories. And for the life of us, we couldn't figure out why this person wasn't using the the right color. And, you know, we would assign them this, this email for them to use and they would never do it. We're like, what, what is going on? And it turned out they were colorblind and they couldn't distinguish because we had a pink and we had a red and they had no idea that there was even a difference in these colors. So it's, it's interesting just how much, <laughs> you know, it, it does impact our day to day and we don't even realize it. And the other thing about investing in accessibility is that it is defensive in that there have been, in the last two years, a huge uptick in the number of accessibility violation lawsuits that have happened. So you say you know, people have a right to use a website and e-commerce websites are being targeted. So you're minding your own business with your website. You get hit with a lawsuit saying, hey, we represent uh, an individual with you know, a disability who's unable to use and purchase from your website. And so you need to do something about that. Um, those things can be uh, at the very best stressful and at the worst costly is worthwhile to consider this and invest in it if you haven't. Tell me about ADA compliance. Like what's when we, we say ADA compliant and then we say accessibility and then there's um, WCAG standard. What are all these these initials mean? Yeah, let's definitely talk about that. So ADA is the Americans with Dis Disabilities Act. It is typically the the common term that we use when we think about whether or not something is accessible to someone with disabilities. What we forget, though, or that we don't always realize is that the ADA is around physical spaces. There's clear expectations for physical spaces, but it's not so clear about how to make websites accessible. And so the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, or WCAG, is sort of the, um, the commonality around that. This is the basic standard that many developers and uh, lawyers and courts will recognize as the, the um, source of truth, if you will. So WCAG has multiple levels. Um, Shopify currently, I think, is, is aiming for a level A, which is like the bottom tier, if you will. I usually recommend people get into level AA as the best, you know, um, way to avoid kind of any sort of litigation. But the Department of Justice really doesn't 
there's no like easy way to say if you hit all these things, you're safe. You won't have to worry about it. Um, so the the best thing that I can say is to have your developers or um, your your agencies that you're working with research what a level AA for WCAG 2.0 means and work towards those goals. And, and we can talk a little bit more about what some of those possibilities are as well. But there is no clear definition of what web accessibility subse- website would entail. That's the scariest part. Is it's terrifying. You really cannot check a go through a list and check all the boxes and go, okay, we know for sure this website is accessible because it's quite it's subjective to an individual. And yeah, and it's it's, it's also part of a document, and it's exactly this, this big moving thing because you've got your website, you have their device, and you've got changing content and a changing platform and apps. Things are not cut and dry at all here. No, and there's so many third parties, there's so many different people involved that it's really difficult to understand who's liable. Um, and and I'll give you a hint, it's you. Like, you can't pass the buck to your somebody else. Your name's on it. You're the one who's it's, liable. You're responsible for it. So if you're going to select a theme, if you're going to select an app, if you're going to develop something, this all falls on you. So I can't, even though Shopify says, hey, we're, we're striving for X level of accessibility. I mean, they're pri- they're really referring to the admin itself. And really, that's part of why the color scheme changed was because of the, to make it uh, colorblind accessible mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago. And uh, the checkout. The theme itself is not so much Shopify's responsibility. It's the theme developer. So, all right, hopefully your theme starts as accessible, but it is not it still ends up being the merchant's responsibility. Um, so Shopify's not going to take care of it for you. The theme developer's not going to take care of it for you. What do I do? Where do I start? Yeah, well, I actually, I really wanted to say, you oh, know, I'm ahead. so glad that you mentioned that because um, sh- the way that it starts, many themes, many, generally speaking, are accessible. What I've seen is that, or mostly accessible, I should say, what I've seen is that you have people that that want to make changes to the theme that make it inaccessible. So, for example, designers want pretty fonts that look elegant or use bright colors because they pop, but those aren't considered readable fonts or aren't considered readable colors. Merchants want to be able to upload their product photo Um and they don't take the time to name their file properly, for example. Marketers want pop-ups uh, for this spin-the-wheel prize or you know whatever, but uh, it becomes unusable when you have a pop-up. Or if you have a slider, which we all know sliders don't convert, but from an accessibility standpoint, uh, those who have motor or cognitive disabilities may actually get confused by them and unable to completely access them. So... There's a lot of things that start as accessible and then we make changes and they become unaccessible. I have done some research on various themes. I believe Debut, which is the standard um, you know, free theme with Shopify when you first sign in, that is the closest that I've seen to being accessible, but it's it's not quite there yet. Okay, so even you're right. Debut is that's if you open up a Shopify store, the default theme right now, the one it starts with is debut. And debut is it is basic and stripped down and simple to make it easier uh, for new merchants to get started with. Um, 
but even you're saying even that doesn't hit does it hit level a does it hit it, it certainly doesn't hit double a i don't think it hits double a i think it's at a um it it might be close to double a it's it's been a while since i've done a full audit on it but i i think it's the closest thing and i what i've also heard from some folks is that like when you make the attempt to be more accessible if you're more open to it then if you were to go through litigation, the, the courts are going to see that you're making that attempt. But if you just flat out say, my theme isn't accessible, there's nothing I can do about it, they're not going to go with it at all. Shopify is trying to be uh, more accessible by 2021. but And that means you know as they, they get apps, as they get themes coming in, they're trying to audit those and make sure that they are accessible, but they can't control all of that especially when things change and and developers make updates to the themes oh yeah no it it it's a daunting task what do you what are the the top three mistakes flaws deal breakers you see that are getting in the way of accessibility what's the the most common things so there i'll have to share an article with you too but there is an article about um you know what people with disabilities wish developers knew um, as like a, if you you did these things, it would be so amazing. But I, I actually think the, the very first and most important thing is that they can't actually access the site itself. So once you land on the page, they can't do anything with it. So for example, if you're using a keyboard and uh, so you don't have a mouse, right? You're tabbing through or trying to find what the different header levels are. You you can't see any of these things. There are ways that when you're designing a website, you can use header tags that allow folks to see the structure of a page. So they could jump around, they could bounce to where they need to go. Creating that, that structure with basic HTML markup is essential to allowing people with disabilities, especially those using a keyboard to navigate through your site simply. Um, Is I think this the, uh, semantic HTML? Yeah. I love this idea. So this was right in like, right around 2010 when HTML5 is rolling out and there's this big dispute among web developers. It seems idiotic now, but at the time there was like genuine heated nerd arguments about the right way to make a responsive website. And that was the big push toward HTML5 and CSS3. It's like, well, do we have a separate mobile site? Do we, is it an app or is it a responsive website? Now we know we landed on responsive as the right solution um, or the accepted solution. And at the same time, there was this idea of you really a hard push on separating style and content. So HTML5 is in an ideal world, it is hypertext markup language. It was meant purely to be the content goes in the page and the only HTML that's there should be necessary to describe what's in that, what that content is to the computer, which then aids in SEO and accessibility. And it's when you start doing strange things to achieve style and layout that it starts to break it. And, um, they call this idea semantic HTML. And I love linguistics and I am pedantic by admission. And so obsessing over HTML5 semantics, oh, I love, I just go crazy without any chance to use what's called a definition list. That's like the nerdiest, most exciting thing in the world for me. The, it sounds like we're, you know, we're talking about H, uh, semantic HTML5, which I don't hear discussed nearly as much with as much breathless enthusiasm as we did 10 years ago. 
Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I would challenge folks that are listening to turn off all your JavaScript, turn off your CSS, and just see what shows up on your page. That's an enlightening exercise. Yeah. Yeah, if you can go through it and it still makes sense, then you know you did it right. But if it's like yeah. suddenly there's, like I bet in a lot of themes you'll find like, oh, suddenly I have two main menus that are identical because we're using one for mobile and one for desktop. And you'll start seeing some strange things occurring. Yeah, I think what people often do is they're like, well, I don't use my keyboard and I don't even know how to navigate with my keyboard, so I'm not going to worry about it. It's like, no, turn everything off and just look at your page and see, you know, can, do you have clear headings? Do you know where your sections begin or end? You know, when you when you turn off your, your images uh, as part of that, like, can you see what's in the image or not? And by that, we're talking about alt text. So we talked about this before, and this was, you know, I'm sort of segueing into my second piece of you know, what happens if your images don't load and can people still figure out what is in the image if they can't see it? So oftentimes you'll think, see things like image underscore 3025. It's, well, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> like, I don't, is that a purse? Like, I don't understand. So, you know, thinking about what it looks like when everything, all the design elements are turned off is essential. So uh, it sounds like we're, we're moving into testing. How do I actually experience whether or not my website is accessible. Walk me through that process. So I would, first of all, say um, to include somebody who has a disability in that process. Because when you're going through, and I'll talk a little bit about how I do some of it, but when you're going through and testing your site, you unless you literally are going to put on a blindfold and, and prevent yourself from looking, it's really hard to move past that. Um, but including someone who has a disability in your design, in your development, is essential to inclusion with uh, web accessibility. So I highly encourage that. Um, there's also plenty of services that, that you can utilize that will actually have testers who have a disability go through your site. So there's, there's uh, services where I can recruit an individual with a disability to actually try to use my site, like real world in the wild kind of thing. Absolutely. What's it called? Oh, shoot. I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> Darn it. I'll have to look and I'll, I'll add the, the, um, the link for you. But I'm totally drawing a blank on the name at the moment. Um, but there's, there's also a handful of audits that you can get as well um, that they're going to cost a pretty penny. Like they're not super cheap, but ultimately I feel like it, you know, it's worth the time and money to invest in it. Um, there are tools that you can use for uh, like Chrome and for Safari. Axe is one that I like the most. It's A-X-E, Axe. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, A-X. Oh no, I'm forgetting. A-X-E extension is what I do with with Chrome. And it's a way for you to, to pull an audit on your site. What it's going to do, though, is it's all of the um, automated testing. And so you need somebody still to actually go through the site and determine if they can access it still. Like, can they actually navigate through it? Tools that are on your site, like Axe um, or Wave is another one. Those are ones that, that do the automated piece, which is great, but you need both. Yeah, my experience with the automated tools is it's a decent start, but they, in my experience with Shopify themes, they seem to be over-optimistic. 
the testing tools oh, were. Where yeah, we had stuff I that think... was like, yeah, no, it's great. And then it's like, I just do it. Killing CSS, you know immediately, like, oh, that's not right. Because there's just a level of human understanding that they're missing. Well, and, you know, if we use alt text as another example, or as a similar example, again, if you label the image um, as black purse, for example, um, it's going to show that you have alt text. Most Shopify themes will use whatever you save the image as, as an alt text. But true alt text is not black purse. It's black purse with um, beading or like, you know, it's a descriptive. So pretend like you're on the phone with somebody and you have to explain to them what this purse looks like. It has a checkered, uh, black beading lining the out, the outside of the purse. It's a leather bag, um, that has a soft texture. Like it's, it's much more descriptive when you talk about how alt text should be, as opposed to how many people label it in that way. But when you're using these testing tools, they're going to say, oh, yep, you have alt text, check, but it's not good alt text, so it's different. Uh, I absolutely love that that tip you just slipped in there. You said, when you're writing alt text, imagine you're just describing the item to a person over the phone. Oh, yeah. That's, like, just a, a brilliant practical tip. And it's like, it's even for me, I'm trying to picture a black person. I can't, but I'm looking at a picture of Kurt, right? So, because uh, <laughs> it's on the video here. And it's like, I can say he has a black cam- or a, a brown, green, black, and tan camo jacket with a white button up. His eyes are lifting towards the, the right side of the screen with a big smile and a goatee. Like, I can describe a lot more about that when I'm looking at the picture than if it's off the top of my head. But absolutely, I challenge you to, to describe in your, your, the way that you save your image. Describe it in that uh, save as. And then it's at least one step closer if, you're, if you don't have the ability to add alt text. Okay, so I've got... Number one, ideally you need a, uh, a person with a disability to try to use the site real world. Two, there are testing tools that will help, but they're n- they are imperfect and optimistic. Three, you've got to cover the basics. Hold up. What do sophisticated direct-to-consumer brands like ColourPop, Huckberry, and Casemate all have in common? They rely on Klaviyo, the growth marketing platform chosen by the brands you love. With a dedicated team of experts and a platform that consumes more data than any other on the market, Klaviyo helps you own the customer experience and grow higher value relationships. And the results speak for themselves. Brands have made more than $3.7 billion, that's billion with a B, in revenue through Klaviyo in the last year alone. From a shopper's first impression to each subsequent purchase, Klaviyo understands every interaction, empowering brands to create more personalized marketing moments. When you have a 360-degree view of the customer, growth possibilities are endless. Visit klaviyo.com slash unofficial. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash unofficial. Talk to him. All right. So you talked about alt tags. I think this is like, this is the thing that gets hammered on with accessibility a lot. Is like, well, do your images have alt tags? (laughs) What are you doing? Yeah, I feel like it's the easy one that most people miss. And yet, as we talked about in the beginning, right, it, it's essential to your SEO. So it's it's an easy piece. There's other things like contrast. Uh, we know we talked earlier about the 
um, using different shades of red or pink or green or blue. Um, one thing that many people, especially as I'm looking through sites, is the font size. People want to use their white space more, which is fantastic, but using text at the right size font is essential. So body copy should be at a minimum 16 pixels. I usually aim for 18, um, oh, bless but you. making it... <laughs> Yeah. Well, it so, drives me crazy. Like, yeah. I've seen it at like 12 pixels and it's like, you've got to be kidding me. One of the things that, that I think web designers fall victim to is the idea that subtle is sophisticated and therefore they go with really tiny fonts and then it's like gray on a white background. So there's low <sighs> contrast. It gets hard to read. And one of like the most basic conversion rate optimization things I do just bump up the font size on everything. Yeah. Suddenly the site's easy to read. Lo and behold, conversion rates get better. What do you know? Well, and even, you, you know, we talked a second ago about contrast, like that gray, the, the when you have a small font with the gray on a white background, I'm telling you, it's impossible to see. Like, it's really, really difficult. And uh, unfortunately, it's like this on a lot of spots that I've seen on, even with the checkout on Shopify. But, you know, creating that contrast and increasing your fonts, you can't just do one or the other. It should be both, right? They they go hand in hand. So you can have a great contrast where you have, for example, it's the easiest solution, but on a white background and almost black text. But if the black text is so small, you still can't read it. So they go hand in hand together. No, absolutely. So we've got font size, descriptive alt tags. What else am I missing? Uh, font type and I don't I, you know it's it's so hard because designers like the cursive you know fancy looking words <laughs> or the the font but I think what happens is that we forget that when you have certain fonts the 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 structure of the font will blend together especially when it's a smaller font but um, some people can't read cursive. They just can't do it. So I uh, always use something along the lines of Helvetica New, um, maybe Roboto or something like that. But you can still use design-oriented fonts um, that are easy to, to read. Okay. Um, so it sounds like, a, well, so far a lot of this is around readability is important, number one. And that's like that benefits everybody. Descriptive text and alt tags, which benefits SEO. So, so far, all these tips have larger revenue motivations than just make the site inclusive to people with disabilities. So there's a double win here for everybody. What else? So far, I'm, I'm on board. I'm loving this. Yeah, I would also add that when you have your forms, um, so at checkout or if you want someone to contact you, make sure that you're labeling your forms appropriately. This is to the developers out there um, you you want to actually create a, a name that's associated with that, so it's not just you know first name is your is filled in on the autofill. You actually need to label it that way, so that when you're going through it with a keyboard or if you're just tabbing through, it's clear what those fields are. Uh, I think oftentimes, you know, we talked about this in the beginning of, of things that might hinder somebody with an, a disability accessing your website. If they cannot check out because they don't understand that this is where you want the credit card information to go, that's a problem. <laughs> like, they will not be able to physically check out. And is this, this is where um, we're reliant on Shopify because you, if you're not on Plus, you can't edit the checkout. And even if you're on Plus, 
you are limited in how much you can edit it. So yeah. in this case, we're reliant on them for the checkout. Like that's their domain. They own that. Do you think the yeah, Shopify it, checkout is accessible? Mostly. Mo- I think so what it could happens, do better. I think what happens is that, you know, um, when you add like coupon codes, like making sure that those fields are appropriately labeled. Um, I, I do think it can be better. I, th- I think a lot of that has to do also with the contrast that they have set up. But the form themselves probably could always be improved. I don't know that I've, when I went through and, and did an audit with somebody, I'm trying to remember if he was actually able to complete a purchase. And I, I can't remember that he did, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, it, but I think a lot of that is getting to that point too, right? If they can't even get to that point, like when you add to cart, uh, this is one thing that we were looking at. He was adding to his cart and the when he clicked add to cart, nothing popped up or nothing. No, there was no announcement that told him this was added to the cart. So he he selected it again and again and again. And I was like, hold on, you just added a $500 cart now. Like you you need to stop. He, and he didn't realize that he was adding it because nothing was telling him these things were added to his cart. So there's a lot of different behind the scenes that uh, a lot of different feels behind the scenes that need to be improved on and I think it's also your contact form right like if you want someone to contact you make sure that they can find it don't try to hide it under this weird you know email me here like actually create a contact form so that it's clear that they need to fill out these pieces and label them appropriately again all things that will benefit everyone and then ultimately the the bottom line for the website so recapping you know we Number one, we want to focus on text accessibility, and that's where, like, hey, let's not get subtle with it. Let's make it easy to read. Um, you know, if we think about street signs, no one wants the highway exit sign to be, like, really fancy. I just want to be able to read it, and I appreciate that. Do the same yes. thing for your website. Um, create alt text, alternative text for your images by describing it. Th- imagining you're describing in- this image to someone over the phone. I think that's such a, a brilliant mindset. Um, the... And then the other two that you touched on, but I don't necessarily grasp are um, slideshow and video accessibility. So slideshows, mm-hmm. I, it sounds like that may be a lost cause, and I certainly have no love lost for slideshows. Um, so maybe just yeah, pick the one hero image that works. Any thoughts on yeah. well, any thoughts on slideshow accessibility? Well, so, I mean, I've seen where the products themselves, like there's a row of products that are a slideshow for it's like, you know, your bestsellers and people put that on a slideshow. Um, oh, or oh, yeah, it's just in, so you do a featured collection on the homepage. I see this, this is like a theme setting feature collection on the homepage. Hey, here's my bestsellers. And I recommend people do this, but then the theme will give you choice. Do you want to do that as a grid or a slider? Oh my God, don't do the slider. You just hid all of it from someone and loaded a bunch of JavaScript just so you could hide the products. It's stupid. Go with the grid so they could just scroll through it. And, and put less on there. Like you don't have to have a grid with 20 different items, like put six on there. That's fine. And then you can direct them to a full, page on your collection if you need to but having the carousel is just overkill and and i promise you people are not using it (laughs) like not not the way that you want them to use it they're going to scroll right past it are there considerations for video accessibility beyond hey it needs to make sense muted yeah so when you have a video especially on your home page um turn off autoplay there's no reason for it to autoplay automatically 
if you have to have autoplay turned on, have it muted. There is nothing worse than when you first land on a page and suddenly your speakers are blaring and you don't know how to turn it off. But I always say it's better to to make the person take action. If they want to watch the video, make them push play. If they want to have sound, make sure that they can turn that sound on. Um, it, it also, when we talk about carousels, don't have your carousel auto rotate. Um, it's not only is it super distracting, but you sometimes you can't turn that off. You can't stop it. And oh, so very rarely do they people, have a pause button. Yeah. And so it prevents people from like actually spending the time to read it. This is one of the reasons why they don't convert, right? Is you have them auto rotate maybe every 20 seconds or 30 seconds, but you have text on there that people can't actually read. And so if you need the extra time, you've, you've now missed that opportunity until it comes back around. And then you have to quickly see where you went, you know, where you left off and then keep reading. Oh, the they default just, they don't is, work. is usually five seconds. Is that what it is? Oh, there was yeah, one that I saw that it was five seconds, and I was like, "Oh, I." And it was giving me a headache too. I just had it in the background. I was, uh, I had a tab up, and I was working on another tab, and I have dual monitors, and it just kept spinning, and I was like, "Oh, I have to turn this off." Like <laughs> it was giving me a migraine. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, I get eye strain from the screens. Yeah. Um, let's see what we got here. The oh, so. You talked about keyboard support. I'm a keyboard cowboy. I've got my mechanical keyboard, but I don't do a ton. You know, tab around and I'll use spacebar to scroll down. Um, but I've never just tried to just walk through a website entirely with a keyboard because it's almost impossible. It's maddening to attempt. Tell me about keyboard support. I mean, really, it's it's tabbing through it is really the the biggest thing. But when you're using a um, a screen reader like NVIDIA, those uh, they have certain keys that that you can customize that help you navigate through it. So you know maybe a tab doesn't just do what we think of as a tab would do, but um, th- what you can do, especially if you have a Mac, uh, accessibility comes as part of the the standard setup. So you can turn off your mouse, unplug your mouse, and just try to navigate through it and see what happens. There's also this really cool thing that most templates have. Uh, at the very top, when you first enter a website, it's called Skip to Content. When you tab through it, if you turn on your voiceover or however you access it, if, but for voiceover for Mac, um, it, it'll read back to you when you have Skip to Content, and it allows you to skip over your entire navigation menu and go right to the main body of your paragraph. So try different things. It is a bit to get used to, but this is one reason why, even for me, when I look at a website, I, I have someone help me with it that, that is more familiar with it because I use it to test websites. I don't need it every single day. I'm not living in this thing every single day. My husband refuses to use his mouse. He hates using his mouse. So he only uses a keyboard, but he does it because it's it's better for him. It's it's more of an ergonomic feature for him. So try it different ways and see if you're able to get through it. I'd be curious. <laughs> yeah, if it weren't like um, cruising in uh, my favorite text editor. So you can definitely, you can like hear my neck beard growing here. Cruising my favorite text editor with my mechanical keyboard. Oh, I, I'm loathe to touch the mouse. I wish websites worked well enough that I could zip through that thing without having to use the mouse. It is a a preferable experience. So I'm I'm with your man on that one. Um, should yeah. I try and should I try and view my website with a screen reader and get that experience? 
you know, I did that actually myself because I, um, when I got my new Mac, uh, it, and it came with the voiceover, I'm like, I'm curious, like, how hard is this? I'm telling you, it's not easy to learn. <laughs> just like, <laughs> just to know how to use it. It takes some, some getting used to, but, um, it is opening. even if you don't do it or you don't know how to do it when you, I'm trying to find the user testing thing, but, um, when you, have someone use your site who has a disability or who uses the keyboard, it is eye-opening to watch them go through your site when you're looking at it and they can't see it. It's like the button's right there. Click on it. It's right there. And they just, they don't see it because they're not using their eyes. They're using the keyboard. It It is maddening. Hmm. But if you can do it. Uh, sure. I had the same experience where even like the interface was so foreign to me, I couldn't even get started with it. Yeah. No, it, it, it takes a bit of getting used to. It's a skill. Um, yeah. So there are tools out there that claim they purport to be able to make any website more accessible. That sounds like a silver bullet. Are there any you like, recommend? What are your thoughts here? Uh, I, there is nothing that I like as a feature. You're talking about for Shopify apps, right? So... There, I have tried a couple different ones. There's none that I love. Um, I, I do agree. It's like a silver, silver bullet. People think, it's kind of like SEO, right? Like they say, oh, this magic button is going to do all these things for me and I don't have to do a single thing. That is completely unrealistic. And anyone who sells you on that, like give me some of that Kool-Aid because it it's not the same. You do have to put effort in. You do need to try it. Um, you And it's something that you have to continue to work on. It's not a one and done solution. There was one app um, that automatically added an accessibility policy to your page and the policy was flawed and there was no way for you, for them to even contact you through this policy. So depending on apps to do the work for you is unrealistic. One thing I've seen that I liked, and you could tell me your thoughts on this, was on a website I saw it was just built, it was burned into the header, it was text in the header, so it was right at the top, so I'm going to hear this thing early if I'm using a screen reader. It said, uh, if you have trouble accessing our website, we are available by phone, please call us. Absolutely. Uh, so one of the things that I, I saw with this app is that the on the accessibility policy um, it just added it to your footer and it says, contact us. And here's our contact information. The problem is, is that those who are trying to access your site are not looking for an accessibility policy. They're looking for a contact. So they're going to go to your contact us page or they're going to search for your website and then contact. Um, but they absolutely will contact you and ask you for help. But here's the problem. If it's hard to find the contact information, they're not going to invest that time in tracking it down. They will go someplace else. So when we talk about reasons why you want to have an accessible website is that they're going to go someplace where the company sees this as a valuable piece of their their overall plan, right? So if your site's not accessible, they're going to go to someone else's who is. Hmm. That's... And it's the, the truth of any bad website is like, look, if this isn't yeah. your biggest competitor is the back button. Like if this website is not yes. deliver on some promise, I'm not I'm not going to spend the effort to try and work around it for you. I'm just going to go back to the next one and see if that meets my needs and keep going round robin until I get the one that does what I want. Um, <sighs> hmm. All right. Well, so, it's a way to differentiate yourself, right? Like if, yes. if you have a direct competitor that 
isn't accessible, what if you were? And and you know what? Uh, there, I think there's like some number, some stat where there is 20% of the traffic um, of people using websites could have some form of disability. So that 20% of people you could be missing out on, and that could be increasing your revenue by 20% if you're accessible and your competitors are not. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's like, yeah, I use that the conversion rate optimization example, but like this accessibility is part of user experience, is part of conversion rate optimization. Remo- you, the same language you're using to describe what you do is the same as me, where you say, you know, you work to remove friction from the buying process. That's the same thing I'm doing, except your yep. one end is to accessibility and mine is toward revenue. Same end goal, same, like it, the same thing is achieved. Um, so I think it, accessibility should be viewed as an important component that will achieve SEO and conversion rate optimization. Like I want to hammer on this, that you will benefit by serving your customers in this way, you will profit. Well, you know, why I, I often hear CEOs saying that they don't want to invest the money in accessibility. It's too costly or, uh, it, you know, or they don't like the design. They want something that's a little bit more fancy or, or whatever. But you invest your money into conversion rates, but you won't invest your money into an accessible website that actually increases conversion rates. So it's sort of like, the you know, don't bite the hand that feeds you. It's the same thing. Absolutely. What do you want people to take away from this episode? What when when it ends, they put their phone down, they open up their laptop. What do you want them to go do? What's the first step they should take? I would say the the first thing you should probably do is to take a look at your website and just to see, like just just look at it. Don't do anything. Just look at it. And how does it feel? Like, can you see things clearly? Is there any, um, you know, is there font small? Is your contrast too difficult? Like, whatever. But just look at it first and foremost, because you can get in sucked into all the testing pieces, but have an external eye, a friend of yours, you know, whoever, just look at your site and tell me, is it clear? Do you, is it clear for somebody to be able to see your headings, to see your images, um, to be able to, to go from landing on your page to checkout? Just the basics, right? Then you can get into some of the more, you know, testing of your site and figuring out what areas can be improved on. Yeah, here's one. Um, this is an old, old designer trick. Lean back from the computer and then yeah. unfocus your eyes. Blur your vision. And if the layout, the structure, the hierarchy, like still kind of makes sense, all right, you did it. If it just turns into a mess, now we you need to start reconsidering the layout. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So there's a there are easy, sensible places here to start. This doesn't I think oftentimes um accessibility has been dismissed as like, you know, like you said, well, CEOs didn't want to invest in it because it's viewed as too expensive. If you start with it just as like this is a core component of design then I really don't think it's I don't think it's inaccessible for for merchants for business owners to achieve. No. And and I also would add, you know, you mentioned this a little bit earlier too, but like the amount of lawsuits since 2015 has increased 40 times over. So if if it costs you maybe $20,000 plus your time and lawyer fees and all that stuff to go through a lawsuit, 
how much money would it cost to invest in creating a web accessible website first and foremost? Like make that your your default and then you don't have to worry about all the other stuff that comes along with it. I like I think that's a that's a good place to close on. Uh, where could people go to learn more about you? Yeah, so um, my website is alanadavis.com, I-L-A-N-A-D-A-V-I-S.com. I'm also on the Instagrams and sometimes Twitter. <laughs> what uh, I will include those links as well. And uh, you wrote an article called, Does My Website Have to Be Compliant with ADA? I thought that was good. I linked to that in the show notes as well. Um, Alana, thank you. This is This has been productive and insightful. I'm, I'm thrilled because my fear was, hey, let's talk about accessibility and you teach us how to do it, but then it it becomes you know, very, very difficult and it's like, all right, we'll just hire somebody. And no, that wasn't the case here. You really made it seem um, practical. Yeah, I don't, I think people need to not be so afraid of it. It's a lot easier to make the right steps in the right direction if you just go at it one step at a time. Well, that, I'm going to leave it right there. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Big news from our friends at Out of the Sandbox this month. Their newest theme just launched. It's called Flux. And it's for those of us who loved all the bells and whistles in Turbo, but thought, I need more of this. That's where Flex is a game changer for you. It can be configured in an endless number of ways, thanks to more layout and section options than ever, more granular control of settings, and easy addition of custom CSS through the theme editor. It's perfect for development agencies like ourselves, as well as e-commerce entrepreneurs like you looking to create a unique online store experience for your customers. Now here's the coolest part. Flex has a new Demo Shop Import feature that allows you to fast-track your shop setup based on any of 12 demo shops. You get all of the theme settings, layouts, content, and sections used in that demo shop of your choice applied automatically to your store. You can check Flex out right now at outofthesandbox.com. And if you like it, take 20% off the purchase price when you use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's outofthesandbox.com and code PODCAST20. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.